There you go. Welcome to the Path Design Podcast. <laughs> All right, so we're back. Now, here's a little surprise to us. We didn't know we were live when we were recording the last one. We have no idea what we're doing. This is spontaneous. We talked about it just beginning a few days back and created this even yesterday. Um, and so it's kind of strange that we're actually even attempting this. Listen, I'm going to say from the very beginning, I hope this is working. Kristen told me after I was done recording, hey, that was live the whole time. So, okay, uh, let's see how this goes, right? Thank you for listening. PathDesign.com. Email us at PathDesignPodcast at gmail.com if you want to send us questions. If you want to challenge me and say, hey, man, you're so wrong on that verse. That's fine, too. I'm open to that. Let's do that. Let's let's sharpen one another. Let's encourage one another. If you don't know anything about this program, it is on Podbean. You can do it on the Podbean app. You can do it on all these ridiculous platforms. I don't do any of that part. My awesome wife is the one who makes all of that happen. You can subscribe everywhere across the board. Share these if you feel that there's anything of any substance within it that could benefit anyone else in your life. Even if there's a little glimmer, say, you know, I think you can mark these, say, hey, go to the three-minute mark. This guy talks a whole bunch of nonsense, but at three minutes and 24 seconds, he made some sense. So go right there. I don't care. Let's just share what the Lord is saying to us individually in our own lives, in our homes, and in our fellowship of believers and what we're hearing God say in this hour, in this age. So in this, in particular, we are doing part two now of the very condensed form of the teaching that I posted last week called The Purpose Within the Pestilence. If you have not noticed, there is a pestilence on the earth, not here where I live, not just where you live, not just in the nation of America, global pestilence, a sickness, a virus. It should have our full attention. And I just want to encourage you like to not be somebody who just kind of pushes it to the side and says, uh, this will just be gone tomorrow. And let's just pretend everything will go back to normal. This may, may very well just come and go. Yes and amen. All I'm saying is whether this thing lasts a mere moment or for a long amount of time apportioned out by God himself, may we be people who actually give ourselves to actually say, Lord, what can we glean from this season? What can we squeeze out every last drop of what you are saying, not just to your people, but to all of humanity? What is it God would say to us? What is it he's speaking to us now? Because where I started with part one, and again, this is a five-part series in audio form on the podcast. It's two and a half hours long. And so in order to make this a little more bite-sized for people to be able to digest, I decided let's make videos and let's get all of this crammed down to a version that is very much lesser now, as far as really establishing a point, but nonetheless, can we just get some trains of thought going to help the church, the, the corporate church, capital C now, not your church, not my church, which isn't even possible anyway. How do we take the capital C church to a place of realizing, you know what? Maybe there's something in there 
in there, meaning in this, in this season, in this very hour, for us to give ourselves to in order to hear what God's saying. Because we know the pattern of God throughout the timeline of all of humanity is he speaks to his people. He speaks things to his people. He is declaring something for us to hear, to discern, and to rightly carry out per his word, per his instruction here in these flesh bodies. We are not just mere casual observers of the sovereign hand of God, and we just watch it happen. Do we understand that we ourselves have been regenerated in Christ Jesus, Yeshua Messiah, so that we can be Emmanuel on the earth? Do we really realize and give ourselves in faith to the biblical proof and evidence that that is in fact who we are. That is who we are now. If we have again, as we said in part one, I'm saying all the time, if in fact we have been regenerated, born again, then born of the water and born of the spirit, have we fulfilled those three things in John chapter three that has moved us not just from perceiving that the kingdom is there. I think a lot of people get regenerated and they're made aware is what the scripture says that You know what I perceive is what that means now. I perceive there's a kingdom. I see it. I've been enabled to see it by being regenerated. The Ezekiel heart of stone being removed and given a heart of flesh. But being born of the water and being born of the spirit actually moves us into the kingdom. Like residents, we are therefore becoming ambassadors of an unseen kingdom. So in light of this, just this alone, how do we respond to the things on this earth that is God's footstool? How do we respond? Do we respond as merely Christian Americans? And like, do we look at the political spin? Do we look at the economics? Do we examine the markets and like, Okay, so what are the prophets saying? What's the president saying? What's this news source saying? Friends, how in the world do we discern what the Spirit of the Lord is saying? You know how? You follow what this says. You give yourself to study this. You give yourself you give yourself to deny your own will, your own cravings to do what? to hear the oracles of God through mere vessels of clay. We can do that. That is why we yet remain. That's why we weren't sucked up into space when we were recreated. We are remaining to be the Emmanuel reality on the earth. So what do we do with this pestilence that is presently on the earth right here in the here and now? This is no apocalyptic like you know, put all these movies that we saw when we were in middle school about like cheesy end times, oh man, folded clothes on the ground and people getting zapped up and buses crashing and planes coming down. This is real life now, okay? This is this is real life. And so let's just think as mature spiritual men, according to real life principles and what God might be doing in this hour. Now, what we established in part one And again, I'm going to do my best. I said this is a two and a half hour series in audio now, and I'm trying to condense it down. In part one, we established some very key words. Now, pestilence in the Hebrew is this word. And again, I just need to recount in case you missed part one. You'll have to go back and see it. 
or listen to the audio message as well. It is strong 1698 and it is Dever. It is pestilence or destroying plague in one number away. In 1697, it is word. Okay, it is utterance. So you have Dever, which is pestilence, and you have word, which is Davar. They're very close. They're very much intertwined. And so what I presented as a, as a submission in part one is the fact that can we say that the word of the Lord, the utterance of God, the speech of Yahweh eternal can in fact come through a pestilence? I believe, biblically speaking now, not mere opinion, of course, that biblically speaking, this is crystal clear throughout the timeline of God and how he reveals himself to man. We see it all throughout Israel. We see it through things I don't have time to mention. You know your Bible very likely. You yourself can start to make some connections. What I'm desiring to do is to plant some seeds for you to realize, you know what? Maybe, just maybe, I hadn't thought of it quite like that. Instead of, like we said, instead of good things, God, bad things, whatever you want to call it, devil, the great adversary, of course, is biblically biblically accurate. But let's just look a little bit deeper. Let's dive into that and really see what is within this pestilence on the earth in this hour. First and foremost, judgment coming to the church now. People who claim to be in God. He is our banner. He is our everything. We have supposedly lost our lives into the Messiah. I believe this this is a sifting, a threshing That's what we're going to look at right now here in part two in this series specifically is the threshing floor because we see the pattern of David. He admits his wrong. He quickly runs to the Lord and says, I am the one who's guilty. I am the one who is of iniquity. May this judgment fall on me. Lord, don't worry about the people. Now, they were idolatrous. They had their own issues. It's not like they were these innocent ones who the hand of the Lord came Um, in an unfair way to judge people for David's wrong. Now, here's the thing, though. David comes in as a mature spiritual man, and you know what he says? He says what I wish I see more men say who are placed in positions of authority within the church today. I wish they would say, you know what? This is all about me. I am a man of iniquity. Now, every once in a while we see this, and when we do, man, it's a little mark in history when a prominent man in the church comes out and he says, you know what? I've been a man of iniquity. I am I, I am a, I am an idolater. I have things in my life that, you know what, need to go and I need to confess. I need to put this out there and say, may the judgment of God come to me in my house. That's what we looked at at the end of part two. And so I want to move a little bit into the threshing floor understanding of what the scriptures might have to say in that. Now, threshing floor is Goren. Okay, if you look at the threshing floor in the Old Testament, it's Goren. You can follow that line all the way into the New Testament when Yeshua, Jesus, is talking about the threshing floor reality in parables and other different teachings. But this word Goren, it is it means several different things, and we'll just touch on a few of them for the sake of time. One of them is to smooth, to make smooth, okay? It is an open area. It can be related to a barn. It can be related to merely just a threshing floor, but is a leveled place made smooth where we know, of course, if you know anything about farming or 
or even just the parables within the scriptures, the threshing floor was always a place where what is fruitful and what is discardable is discerned. Obviously, we know this doesn't, this is elementary, right? There is a threshing, there is a separation moving and extracting what is good and what should remain from what is chaff that will be cast out and be burned. Now, Yeshua talks about this a lot in the scriptures. Um, it, it is no mere coincidence a couple of these things that we're going to get to, but I want to talk about threshing floor, floor real quick. In the Greek now, when Yeshua is talking about the threshing floor, it is this halom. Now, it is a place, possibly in a field. It is rolled over by a roller in the harvest season. It is where grain is obviously threshed out. Now, Yeshua in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, he says this, because I don't want to just move over these texts and simply do dialogue when these things have real substance for us. And again, why does this matter? Because this account in 2 Samuel chapter 24, David is saying, look, I am a man of iniquity. I am turning. I'm recognizing and admitting my fault, my guilt. I have brought something upon not just me, but a whole the whole land. Right. We see, as we talked about already, 70,000 people are killed in this pestilence. Y'all 70,000 men in a mere three days are killed. There is great judgment that comes. David admits his wrong. And what does he do? The word of the Lord comes through Gad and he says, you know what? You need to go and you need to go to this threshing floor. David sees an angel there. He goes and he meets Erunah, the owner of the threshing floor. Okay. And again, I, I, I want to just throw this out in part one. And of course, in the audio part, um, the series as well, we talked about how Erunah, the owner of the threshing floor, meant joyful shouting. That was what his name meant, okay? In the Hebrew is joyful shouting. Significant marker to make according to this threshing floor mentality. David comes, he says, I'm going to buy this from you. The owner says, no, you won't. I'm going to give it to you. David says, no, I will buy it because I'm not going to offer up these sacrifices to the Lord that will not cost me anything. So what does he buy? Why in the world does he buy a threshing floor, right? Well, before we get to that, I'm going to try to remember and come back to that in just a second. But Yeshua is talking to his followers in Matthew chapter 13 in a parable. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, the enemy comes in. He sows seeds, um, weeds, excuse me, among the wheat. And, they, and then he went away. When the wheat sprouted, heads of grain comes. The weeds appear as well. The owner's servants come and say, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where have the weeds come from? He answers, an enemy has done this. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? He says, no. He says, basically, you just leave that for later. We will gather them up later. The reapers will collect it. They will take them to the threshing floor. Into my barn will be gathered the wheat. Into my barn will be, after the threshing, what should remain will be extracted and put into my barn. Now, if you want to do a word study, it's this word apotheke. It's very interesting through the scriptures in the New Testament about a storehouse, about a barn, about where everything that is good, right, valuable, and pleasing, and good fruit is gathered and remains. It is stored up. John the Baptist is talking. You can look in Matthew. You can look in Luke chapter 3. 
And he says, I baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming. The latch of whose sandals I'm not worthy to unloose. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor, his goren. He will purge, and that's the Old Testament word. He will purge the threshing floor. He will do the separating. He will do the dividing of what is and what is not. And only he's going to know. Now, everybody wants to get into, well, you know, we know the scriptures talking about the angels, the reapers. A lot of people want to just grab onto that and hope that they're the ones doing it. Friend, listen, you don't want that job. You don't want to be the one to say who is the grain and that remains and who is the one that's discarded and burned. Listen, we don't want that place. Let's be careful. As I said in part one, with this finger wagging, finger pointing, who deserves the judgment of God? Listen, we do not want to get within a million miles of that place and function. We simply need to do what David did, which is what? God, look at me. When I shared this on Saturday, I just felt that so strong, and I felt it for the last 10 days. The issue within this for the church to really glean and extract from it is introspection. This is not about the sin of the nations as a whole. This is not about the rebellion of the world. This is something that first and foremost can posture and position the church to be what? Looking inside, examining, search me, know me. Lord, see if there's any wicked way in me, right? We know that is the pattern of David and what he taught us according to how he lived. So this wheat will be gathered into the storehouse, into the barn. The chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. I don't have time to go on into all of these. Joel chapter 2 talks about a trumpet will be blown in Zion, and there's going to be a goren. There's going to be a threshing floor full of grain and overflowing with wine and olive oil. Okay, and so David makes it very clear that, that there is a significance of this threshing floor ownership to accomplish something. Well, what is it going to accomplish? We know when you follow the scriptures that in this specifically, the reason why he wants to buy the threshing floor is for what? He wants to erect a house. He has been told again by the prophet Gad, thus saith the Lord, and in perfect obedience, if you look at verse 19, David went up according to the word of Gad, just as the Lord had commanded. His response was immediate and clear. He went straight into doing what the word of the Lord came to him and said to do. He goes and he goes to buy the threshing floor. Why? To build or erect an altar to God. Now listen to what I'm saying, because I would like to say in humility, I think the remaining part of what I'm going to share is possibly the most important part. If, in fact, we can do the first part, which is the part of allowing ourselves to be threshed and and all the chaff of our life to be separated and removed and 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 just extracted by a willing surrender now, a living sacrifice of bringing ourselves willingly now, because we don't want God to have to continue to pry these things out of us, especially in a season of pestilence, because the pestilence comes, in my opinion, when the people of God in, in humanity as a whole has become so hard-hearted, there is no way to get through other than a violent shaking to get through to mankind. We are a people that if we're not careful, we will be so comfortable, so relaxed, so reserved, 
And so just cruising through life, being good Christian Americans, you know what? God comes in in his goodness and he says, you know what? It's time for you to wake from your slumber. It's time for you to be stirred. We say all the scriptures about rising up, awaken from your slumber. We have to first address this issue. And so if we in fact go and we go to the threshing floor and we're willing to possess it at a price because we say, no, this must cost me something. Again, we're talking spiritual principles within natural circumstances that David taught us here that's been recorded for us by his actions, okay? And so look into the 50 shekels of silver. I don't have time to get into all that. Numbers chapter one, if you want to look at kind of the origin of the census where Moses executed it according to the word of the Lord, that's something good to study. In Exodus chapter 30, we see something very interesting in verse 12. It says, when you take a census of the people of Israel and register them, each upon registration, they are to pay a ransom for their life to Adonai. Why? Listen to what I'm saying. They are supposed to pay a ransom, a cost, a price at the census, which is what David originally ordered, to avoid any breakout of plague. Now, plague, plague is right here next to pestilence. It's negeth in the Hebrew. It's very, of course, related plague, pestilence. That's easy. My son could understand that, right? But why? To keep the plague from breaking out, they must pay a ransom. Now, I just want to insert real quickly here, Yeshua the Messiah came to what? We know this even as old school, traditional Christians in just like generic American Christian church. Now, Yeshua, Jesus came to what? To pay your price, to pay your, pay your penalty, to redeem you, to, to purchase you back, right? Now, this biblical understanding has got to be established that there is a type and a shadow, if you will, within David that was fulfilled and culminated in Yeshua Messiah, another king, similar to David. We know all the Bible parallels. But he perfectly satisfied, he perfectly fulfilled and purchased and paid the ransom for what? For us to go to these places to do what? To be threshed, to be changed, to be cleaned up and purified and purged of all these things that must be extracted from our life. Why? To get to a place where we can do what the word of the Lord came to David through the seer Gad to say, then you must build the house of the Lord. Why did they build the house of the Lord at the place, the location of the threshing floor? Well, we're told this. It is in what? I've got to find my pages. Second Chronicles chapter three. Okay, so again, the timeline, now we're going forward in time. David is dead, gone, moving on. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah. Well, where's Mount Moriah? Why does that even matter? Where the Lord appeared unto David, his father. Oh, we're right back to Second Chronicles chapter 24. In the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Arunah or Anan, whichever version that you use, the Jebusite. He began to build it in the second day of the second month in the fourth year of his reign. So what's the point of that? 
Now, listen, please stay along with what I'm going to say, and I'm going to submit this as a possibility. Can we say that the biblical pattern within this is there is sin, there is iniquity, there is rebellion, there is David's motivation was to count the people to see his own physical prowess. What is the what is the natural strength of the nation? We need to know. He needed to know for his own good. What is it that we must be prepared to tackle? What can we do? How strong are we? Where are our weaknesses? Let's let's do our own counting and kind of evaluate ourselves according to our own understanding. That comes back. The numbers that he ordered for do, in fact, come to him. He is immediately tore up in his heart. It says his heart basically was grieved at what he did. He admits he's wrong. He goes to the Lord. He says, may all of this judgment fall on me. Please don't punish the people for my actions. He owns up to what he did. The Lord comes, stays the hand of the angel who has already killed 70,000 men. And there's a pause. And David goes, he hears the word of the Lord in verse 19, instant, or I think it's verse 15, I don't know, instant obedience to go by this threshing floor in order to build the altar. Now, here's where it gets very interesting. When he builds the altar, okay, 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse um, 25, David built there an altar to the Lord. Okay, now again, let's just drop this in as a little reminder. This is where the temple that Solomon built would be established is right here. There's something being established way before the house of the Lord as the temple that we know of. You know, the massive house of the Lord would be built. There was some there were many things in process years before that took place to what? To lay the foundation and groundwork for the for the holy presence of God to be held within an actual building in a way it never had before to a different level, a different extent. Okay, and so in this, there is a purchasing of the threshing floor. He says it's going to cost me something. And so he does that. And when he does that, okay, verse 25, and he offered burnt offerings and he offered peace offerings. Thus, in other words, because of this, because of the actions that David did along the timeline that culminated in the altar being built and the incense rises, thus the Lord was moved by entreaty. For the land, okay? And the plague was held back from Israel. Okay, so again, let's not get lost in all this teaching and forget where we sit right here in the here and now. There is a plague and a pestilence on this land right now. Literally on this land, we have got to step back and say, Lord, why is this here? What did I personally do to bring this about on the earth? What has the what have the people of God Corporately speaking, what have we, the people of God, who say we are yours, what have we done to bring this to pass? Can we follow David's example and say, what have I done personally to bring this to the earth? Do we really sit and think, what about me and my responsibility, my role in bringing this on to the earth? So then the response is we are willing to be threshed. We will pay the price. Ultimately, if we had time, we could establish how you go you go into Yeshua Messiah, who perfectly purchased and paid that ransom and all these things we don't have time to get into. Look at cha- look in Exodus, I believe it's chapter 30. 
He perfectly fulfilled all these things. Why? So that we can erect an altar and so that incense can arise. Now, when you look at entreaty, it's very interesting. I'm going to have to skip so many different things. Pause. I don't want to miss entreaty because when you look at verse 25, it's very important because entreaty, I can't find my notes on it. It's basically talking about, I'll just summarize. And I don't know a lot about this stuff. I'm just learning myself, okay? And entreaty was basically very much synonymous with incense rising up. And when you start looking at the words throughout the, the, the scriptural understanding, when the incense arose in its proper way through a heart of repentance and turning in a way that was pleasing to God, it got his attention. It like was a sweet, we know the biblical words of like it was a sweet aroma. It ascended to his throne. And so when that took place, something in the heart of God shifted. It was changed. There was something in the heart of the father. Okay, because he already told the death angel, he told the angel, whoa, 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 stay your hand. Stop. That's enough. Which happened now. In God's mercy, it did happen, but then there's still something in this pattern, in this timeline that I believe is interesting, that there was eventually, as we see at the end in verse 25, because of the aroma, because of the ascending incense, the plague was held back. It was stayed. God decided to turn and to leave it and to... It accomplished its purpose. Now, 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 interestingly, 2 Samuel ends right there. It ends right there. I would believe there's much we can go into, into the life of Yeshua that kind of picks this up and shows us a culmination, if you will, of fulfilling in its entirety of this pattern that we see throughout the Old Testament of the pleasing sacrifice that we now can be when we bring ourselves willingly in humility to walk in the same manner that Yeshua himself walked, which is what? Complete submission to the Father. Complete submission to him. This word is atsar, this um, held back, to close, to stop, to withhold, to refrain, to rein in and restrain. That is what the Lord did when this incense and worship and supplication arose to his throne. It got his attention. Well, why is that? So let's just talk about this for a minute, because this to me is the knock it out of the park thing that I just got to kind of put my notes down and just talk and we'll try to bring this to a close. And again, go to, go to the audio version. If you, if you like these things, because it's two and a half hours of a much more in-depth examination of this specific text, basically four texts, two primarily, but we've got to realize number one, pestilence comes from the hand of the Lord. Like I said, in part one, even in this video, you can go and scroll pestilence in your Bible app, and it will say from the hand of the Lord and the Lord brought about and the, the Lord spoke out and all these things, right? Pestilence. We cannot be mere natural thinking men that are so immature. We just immediately say bad thing comes from the devil, bad devil. And we just look at assess good 
God. Friends, we've got to understand that God does not think like mere men. We do not have the mind of God until we are a spiritually regenerated man that is literally just like activating our thinking according to the word of God and the patterns patterns therein, and more so even just walking according to the spirit. What is the spirit saying in this hour? And friend, you will not hear what the spirit is saying in this hour if you have one foot in the news and one foot in the eternal oracles of God and you are back and forth. You are a double-minded man if you are gathering your sources of information from all these news outlets telling you a natural perspective 24-7. I'm telling you, are you going to hear a spiritual man perspective on Fox News right now? I mean, really, are they going to pick up the word of God and say, we have found the pattern of the of the pestilence in the word of God? Or are they going to give you numbers and facts and fear based movements towards getting humanity to a place of responding natural? Well, all I'm trying to do is say, can we be spiritual men? Can we be spiritual men moved by the spirit to understand the age that God himself has sovereignly placed us within? If you're watching this right now, God is playing throughout all the all the expanse of time. He has designed you and I to be here right now, to be here right now, experiencing whatever we want to call this for a purpose. So there is a threshing in my life. That has got to take place. I have got to submit myself willingly to pay the price to be threshed out for God to use this experience, to use this event to extract things in my life that that attach me to the patterns of this world. And they keep me natural. They keep me naturally driven and minded. This is an opportunity for us to use for the glory of God to really be demonstrated in his people. We must own up to our responsibility. We must follow the pattern of David. And we must recognize that Yahweh God is absolutely, sovereignly, perfectly in control. He is in control so much so that I believe he is waiting and wanting and desiring so badly for his people to hear what he's saying. And then just like Yeshua, right? Like, do we really believe that is, in fact, who we are now called to be and have been empowered to actually be to hear what the Father's saying and then speak it and see what he's doing and then go do it? Because I think it's time for the church to actually, let's just metaphorically say now, leave our homes. It's time for us to go out. The Lord changed my whole life roughly a year ago towards this this stirring in me to go out. The Lord brought us out, delivered us. Why? To go out, to say, you know what, church, it's time to do something. Don't be so afraid of the religious boogeyman. Don't be so terrified that you're going to be in the flesh that you just sit there. And like, it's very interesting because right now in this present moment, that is literally what the church is doing is she's going into her home, just like her worldly neighbors and closing the door and saying, you know what? We just need to hide out until this passes. And all I'm saying with all the scriptures, like scriptures about Passover's just coming and we know they went in, they closed the door after they put the blood on the doorpost. Now, friends, that's one thing that we've got to pick up and we've got to put here. That is something now. 
that is something a plague a not really a plague it was just death man death just came and ex- executed judgment right and delivered god's people now yes but let's not just grab that same we hide out Friends, I'm saying there are people that I believe are wanting to see a church that is no longer just driven by pride and arrogance and doing this all day long, saying, this is what you deserve, fallen world. God is angry and he is ready to sift the nations. Now, listen, that is fine if you start with yourself. That's fine if I start with me. But friends, we had better be careful. Like I just started this part 30 minutes ago. We have got to first and foremost make absolute sure that we ourselves are clean and clear and walking free of idolatry. I did not even get to the last part. You've got to go to part five in the audio series at pathdesign.com where I talk about the Sabbath. I talk about how the Lord has been changing myself and my household to begin to honor the Saturday Sabbath. Because, look, I'm at 36 minutes. I don't have time to go there, and I am no Sabbath teacher. But there is some spiritual substance within this that I'll say this, and then we'll wrap this up. When you see videos or or screenshots of these major cities all across the world now, not just Atlanta or not just Miami, Florida, but I mean nations, cities in nations, and you see these pictures or videos both, and you see no movement. There is a forced rest that I believe is coming, like we established in part one, the the word of God and the pestilence are almost synonymous. And I believe within the pestilence is the word that's saying, you know what, it's time for you to honor my Sabbath. I think that's one thing the Father is saying is you have forsaken my commands. You have forsaken my Sabbath rest and you've just tried to make it fit your own life whenever you're not working or whenever you don't want to go to a ball game. And then you honor me then for maybe an hour and a half. Maybe. And friends, I'm telling you, that will not be enough for the church that goes forward from here. I'm absolutely convinced whether this pestilence is lifted right now Or in 20 years, the church has got to awaken from her slumber and stop just pretending she's pleasing God however she wants to operate, act, and function. There has been things within the Word of God that have been established, and it says over and over again, that are to be perpetual forever. I can't go without saying this. We see the Sabbath at creation. God rested and marked a day and named that day and said, this day will remain throughout all generations. All generations, I believe, is pretty inclusive for every one of us. So we see Yeshua in the end of days being the Lord of the Sabbath. I don't even have time to go into the few verses that I know that talks about a Sabbath observance for the rest of time. So why do I, this is what I had to reckon with, why do, why do I feel like I have the right to make the Sabbath day whatever I want it to be? I'm in the Sabbath rest all the time, is what I said for so many years. And the Lord convicted me and said, you know what, Joel, that's fine. Try to be holy. Try to be set apart. Try to be distinct. Make that your trajectory. Yes, every moment of every day. But you know what? Guess what? I made a day. 
I made a day for you to sit and to mark and to mark and everything in that boundary is for me. To mark a moment because you know what? And this is the thing, y'all. This is not law. Everybody wants to just throw in all. You're just you're just bound to law. You know what? I want to please my father. I want to please him. I want to do what he has set in motion for me and established as guidelines and boundaries for my life. And you know why? Because I have got to have it. It is his provision. It is his safety. It is a boundary that is for my good. Why? Because I have to acknowledge, you know what? His ways are higher than mine. My agenda is not what's best. I am not designed to just go through life in the finished work of the cross and just figure it all out according to my own understanding and intellect. I have got to get to a place when I submit myself to what God said, this will be in place for my people, which we have to establish. Are you really his people or not? Or are you just a Gentile on the outside outskirts of the city of Zion? Or are you in him? Are you grafted into his people? Therefore, everything that was established is in fact for you to carry on perpetually to honor him and to give him what he is due. Why? For our own good. For our own good. It is for our good. It is for our safety. Just like my son, if he stays underneath the covering of his dad and the safety and guidelines of his father, he will be safe. He will be preserved. He will be overseen in the parameters of safety within, in this case, a household government. God himself has made a government, y'all. And look, 2 Samuel chapter 24 makes that crystal clear. We must stay within what God commands. We must do it. Why? Because it is for our good. It is for our good. And when we do this pattern that David clearly showed us, we can rightly establish an altar for the Lord, which is ourselves. We can't even get into that. And a sweet, a sweet, pleasing aroma ascends to his nostrils and he stays his hand and he is satisfied. Now, listen, he's satisfied in Yeshua Messiah. We must be in him. We must be in him. Listen, this this is this much out of a wealth of potential topics within this study. I wanted to condense it down. I'm sorry, it's 42 minutes. That is the absolute best I can do, I swear. Thank you for listening. Please share this if you feel, again, mark it. If there's something I said that stuck out, like, okay, I don't know about everything else he said, but like at minute seven, I feel like he said something right. I'm going to look into that. Please mark that, share that. If you believe this is right, if you don't, that's fine. That's okay. But would you please give yourself to study the word of God? Show yourself approved. Okay, go to pathtozion.com. Help us spread the word. I feel like God's speaking. A lot of people are saying, look, this is a silent season. God is not talking right now. We need to just lock ourselves up in our prayer closet and hold on tight until he comes back to speak again. I believe he's right here. I believe he's speaking. I believe he is desiring for us to what? Rediscover the ancient way. So would you do that? Make sure you're doing that. We're going to turn this off now. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, we'll do, we will do this again soon. Um, talking about what? Who knows? Thank you for tuning in.